This morning we're on part five of a series that's talking about the five things that God uses to grow our faith. Now this isn't the last one. Uh, we started out, actually part one was an introduction. So we are on uh, thing number four this morning that God uses to grow our faith. Um, and this is a series, again, that uh, was produced by Andy Stanley for North Point Church back in 2009, and we're adapting it for our use here and uh, using his material for our, Sunday, or our uh, Bible study groups that meet during the week. And uh, what we've been learning, though, is that there are these five things that are a part of really all of our stories when it comes to our spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. Um, they're not five things that, we, that, that are on a list that we check off and say, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. There are five things that when, when people share about what God has done in their life and their journey with Jesus over a period of time, these five things seem to rise to the top and be a part of every story. Um, those five things are uh, starting off with practical teaching, practical biblical teaching. At, at some point in all of our lives, there has been some practical biblical teaching that we have heard, whether on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study or on a radio, where God has used that in our life to increase our trust in Him, to, in, to grow our faith in Him. Um, the second thing is providential relationships. We, all of us probably have somebody... Uh, if it's just one or multiple people in our life, that when they came into our life, it, it, it may have changed the trajectory of our life, spiritually speaking. It, it could be a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. A lot of people say, well, I was just going along in my life and then I met this guy or then I met this girl or, or this person. I had this conversation with this person and it was, it was providential. God had them in my life that day to give me this message and, and it changed how I thought about something or it changed the trajectory of my life or my family. And uh, the third thing is um, personal disciplines, which we talked about last week. Uh, things that we do in our life, and, and of all of the five, this is one of those where there is an, an, a big action on our part. Um, we need to be disciplined, or we are disciplined in, in reading our Bibles, or in prayer, or giving, or fasting, or whatever those spiritual disciplines that God is using in our lives, or wants to use in our life to grow us, not just in knowledge, but in obedience to what He is calling us to do. The, the fourth thing we're going to be talking about this morning is per personal ministry. And then the last thing that uh, Adam is actually going to be talking about next week, it's kind of your inaugural um, you know, sermon here at North Hills on this stage on a Sunday morning. And I'm uh, very excited to... Uh, actually, I'm going to be gone that Sunday. So I guess I'll have to listen to it online. But um, um, I hope that everybody will come and hear Adam. Uh, he's going to be talking about pivotal circumstances and has several of those pivotal circumstances in his own life 
where, where God took something that happened, whether it was intended for evil or not, and God made it into something amazing and something good. And I think in many ways, uh, I, I'm here on, in this place because of some of those pivotal circumstances in my life, and I think Adam would say the same thing. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to hearing what he has to say about that. So, today we're talking about personal ministry. And it's one of those things that God uses to continue to grow us. And, and this, the, the way that God grows us in all of these five things, I think, is it, it spirals. And I think it spirals upward. Oftentimes we think of things spiraling in a negative direction. You know, a, a bad choice here and a bad choice here, and it just spiraled down. But I think of these five things as things that, that God uses to actually spiral our trust in Him and our faith in Him upward in, in a positive way. Uh, so, we're talking about personal ministry this morning. Essentially, I'm talking about serving Jesus, serving the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. And, and serving, really, in our culture today, it doesn't get a lot of positive uh, press, you know, because the world tells us that we need to be all about us, about me. Look out for number one, right? Do whatever you need to do. And, and we need to think about that. But I like to think that there's something about serving that, that you know, it's, it's just good. It makes, it makes me feel good. Um, I know when I serve other people, uh, I come from that saying, wow, you know, I, um, I kind of did a good thing there. Or, or uh, not in an arrogant way, to, but to look back on someone that you have served and see what God is doing with that simple action that you did, that certain laying down of yourself in, in their life and, and how He is changing their life in the midst of that. But in our world today, as I said, uh, that's not the message of the world, and it's easy for us to get comfortable in our here and now, in the life that we have, and only think about ourselves, and only think about the activities that we're involved in, and our children, and those sorts of things. And, and we don't often step outside of our comfort zone and say yes to opportunities that we have to serve. Uh, does this phrase sound familiar? Synergistic integration. Okay, there are a few people that watch television and have seen the La Quinta commercial where the guy is there, you know, and he's like, in, there, in that commercial there's this group of other co-workers and they're all standing in a big box. And, and he's like the guy who, you know, because he got a great night's sleep because he stayed in this particular motel, right? That's the whole commercial part. But, but he's thinking outside of the box. And, and they're refusing to think of outside of the box. And of course, he gets the, oh, yay, way to go, whatever, uh, whatever with him. But, but we need to be willing to get out of our comfort zones, get out of the box. We need to not get so settled in the fact that, you know, I'm just the kind of person I don't like, I don't like new things. You know, I don't like change or, or I don't like taking risks or, or um, you know, I just like comfort. I like the usual and we can get that way. We're not really interested in anything new. You know, I can hardly keep the plate spinning that I'm comfortable with, right? How, how, I, how could I add another plate and keep it spinning? Um, on October 18, 2013, in Buffalo, New York, 37-year-old Darnell Barton was driving a bus filled with high school students over a bridge when he spotted a young woman perched on the wrong side of the guardrail. Sensing something wasn't right, Barton slowed to the side of the busy highway and opened the bus door. From his seat behind the steering wheel, the driver called to the woman, asking her if she was okay. When the young woman looked at him but didn't respond, he left the bus and approached her. Barton told the Buffalo News, she turned back to look at me and then back at the traffic, and that's when I kind of lunged and got my left arm around her body. 
Barton proceeded to talk her into climbing back over the guardrail as he guided her with his large arms. Together they sat on the pavement. A surveillance camera shows, and, and I actually read that, that there is a link on this particular where I found this illustration that I could go to the YouTube video and watch the actual webcam of this. Uh, the surveillance camera shows a pedestrian and a bicyclist going by the distraught woman without stopping to help. But Barton, who acknowledges having grown up in church, said he could hear his mother's voice in his head. Now I think about that and I think about maybe the Holy Spirit speaks to us in our mother's voice sometimes maybe. I think that's what was happening to him. Prompting him to do the right thing. As a result, he gave her some encouraging words. The two conversed until first responders showed up. Barton told a reporter, The Bible says we are to be ready in season and out of season. You've got to be ready. If you've got time to do anything, you've got time to do the right thing. When Barton got back on his bus, he received a standing ovation from the high school students. Then he finished his route, wrote up a report, and went home. Now, the question I have, he, he, re he received a nudge. He saw a need and decided that he was the one to fill that need. And so he took action. Have you ever received a nudge from the Lord to do something? That's the question I want you to think about this morning. Have you ever received a nudge from the Lord? Um, and you know what I'm talking about. That feeling, that general feeling that you should do something. That, that, that you should say yes to something or that you should volunteer or something. And again... I'm not talking about guilt because sometimes we can get that way. We want to guilt people into doing something. We want to shame you into saying yes. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about this morning at all. I'm talking about God communicating with you, um, either through people or whatever, and nudging you to, to say yes to serving someone in some way. Now, maybe you felt that nudge and you were ready with an excuse. Uh, I, I don't have the time or... Um, I don't have enough training or I don't have the right education or I, I, I would just say the wrong thing or you, you start listing those things in your mind. I'm, I'm, just, I, I'm just not prepared or equipped. But you felt drawn anyway. You, you still feel that, that call. This sense that God was moving you to do something. Now it's in times like that when we experience the tension and the friction uh, between fear that comes from doing something that we've never done before and, and this sense that God is calling me to do this. Uh, it could be financial needs people have. It could be volunteering for something, maybe here at the church or out in the community. Uh, ministry opportunities that arise. It could be a mission trip. Uh, and the list really does go on. We, we often see incredible lessons in 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 the event or the activity of serving someone. Uh, every mission trip I ever took students on, I found that the Lord did more in the lives of the students that were on the trip than, than He necessarily did in the lives of the people that we were there serving. How many teachers have you heard say, you know, you've, you've gone to them and said, man, that was a great lesson. You really, I really learned a lot this morning. And they say to you, you know, I'm not... I think I probably learned the most out of this, out of the preparation and the learning and the actual giving of this. Um, God really did a work in my own heart as I did this. God uses these opportunities that He gives us to grow us and increase our amount of trust. And as our trust and our faith in, in God builds, um, so does our intimacy with Him. 
as we just learn to, to just, just follow him faithfully, um, we grow closer and closer and closer to him. Now, we're going to see this uh, worked out in, in the passage that we're going to be in today. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to spend the rest of the morning here in Matthew chapter 14. And if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from under the seat in front of you. And it's page 960, 970 in those uh, Bibles underneath the chairs if you don't know where Matthew is. Uh, page 970, Matthew chapter 14. Now, if you noticed in your notes, um, there's also some other passages are up there at the top. Now, we're not going to go to those passages, that, but those are the references of other places where this account that we're talking about today is found. So, in the discipline of Bible reading this week, I gave you some other things that you could look at as you're doing that. So, I just wanted to help you out with that a little bit. Now, Uh, The first thing we read in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, what Jesus heard had happened was John the Baptist was beheaded. You can look back those first 12 verses right there and see that. Um, And John the Baptist was actually a relative of Jesus. And we know that because when Mary was told by the angel that she would conceive through the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Son of God, she goes and visits a relative, and that relative is Elizabeth. And then we read that Elizabeth has a child, miraculously, whose name is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is is a relative of Jesus, and Jesus hears that he has been killed. Uh, John had used the king and his uh, his wife, who is actually his sister, as a sermon illustration one too many times. They were sick of it. They, they threw John the Baptist in jail. And then eventually, through some other circumstances, um, John is beheaded. So, um, here we have Jesus just hearing that this has happened. He withdraws by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, hearing of this, it says, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So the towns here that Jesus is leaving, all of the people that were gathered there that he was ministering to, Jesus gets in a boat. He, he rows across, or however he gets across, maybe somebody else was sailing the small boat for him. He goes across the lake to the other side, and, and then the length of time it takes him to get from this side to that side, the people all walk around the lake, and, and obviously gather other numbers. And, and it says in verse um, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So he gets across the lake to this place where he's going to be alone. And there's this enormous crowd there. And, and you know, it's not like he could get away from them, right? Because I'm thinking, we'll just, you know, row to another place. Well, they're just going to follow him around, right? As they see him coming across in the water. So there they are. And Jesus, being the compassionate, loving God that he is, um, he has compassion on them and he heals their sick. Now, this is kind of, it's kind of frustrating because it's like, look, people, give this guy a break, right? He's mourning the loss of a relative, but, but all you can think about is yourself. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's all about the people. Um, but Jesus ministers to them anyway because he has a heart for them. And then we know that he does this for the rest of the day, because as we continue in verse 15, it says, As evening approached, as evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a remote place. 
of course it's remote. Jesus was going there to be alone, right? He was going to a solitary place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So, it's been a long day. Jesus has had devastating news. He, he gets across the lake. There's these people. He's been ministering to them, healing their sick, interacting with them all day long. And now it's starting to get late. And everybody's been there, presumably, for at least half the day, you know, probably for eight or nine hours at this point. And they're hungry. The people are hungry. I'm guessing the disciples are hungry. And they're like, look, Jesus, we got a plan. It's getting late. Let's send all the people home or to the towns where they can, where they can find food. Okay, sounds like a reasonable plan to me. Might be something that I might think of to, to, to have them done, uh, to, to have them do. But Jesus has something else in mind. Um, Jesus is going to teach something here. Jesus is going to do some faith stretching in the lives of the disciples. Those who he's on this, if you want to think about it this way, a mission trip with. Okay, they're with him. Now, we're going to see that the, the majority of the faith stretching occurs in the lives of the disciples, not necessarily the people that they're serving. But, but that's just kind of a side note. Okay? Jesus replies to, to these guys when they come and they say, let's send the villagers out so that the, these people to the villages and they can buy themselves some food. And then in verse 16, Jesus replies, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, again, put yourself in the place of the disciples. They're in the middle of nowhere. Okay? They're in, uh, I can't even say Alban, Wyoming, because there's actually a cafe there. Um, they're, they're in the most remote place you can think of in Wyoming, kind of. There's, there's there, what? Meriden. Okay, I'll give you that. Meriden, it has a zip code. And, uh, and there's, oh, Garrett Yoder has a, you can get something to eat there. You can't, you can't where these people are. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you give them something to eat. Now, what, what would happen in your mind if Jesus said that to you? I know what would happen in mine. Well, I don't have anything to give them to eat. Right? Um, what, what, what do you want us to do? And, and so I don't know if they took time, time to do this. I don't know how it happens, and I'm sure it's explained in one of the other accounts. Uh, essentially, they, they, they find five loaves of bread and two fish, verse 17. Okay, they have five loaves and two fish. And still they're thinking to themselves, because at the end of this account, we see that when they count all the people that, there, that, that were there, there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. So there's more than the population of Torrington on this, on this hillside that Jesus has been ministering to. And, and what they have, what the disciples have to feed them with is five loaves of bread and two fish. And I would be thinking to myself, there ain't no way. I just, I don't, there's no way we can do this because I don't, we don't have the stuff. We don't have the tools. And how often do we, when we get into a situation where we feel God is calling us to something, instead of maybe looking at the power that He has, we look at the inadequacies that we can come up with on our own. You know, maybe you've done this. You've, 
you've, um, Sarah and I have, you, you make a list and you say, okay, to, to do this or not to do this. And you have a, 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 a pro side and you have a con side and you start writing down, okay, pros of me doing this are this, 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 and this. And the cons are this, 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 this. Oh, let me get another piece of paper. This, 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 this. And essentially it turns into excuses, right? I can't do this. I won't do this. I don't have time to do this. We don't have the resources to do this, etc., etc., etc. And the one thing that should be, if it's not, but should be in the pro column is that I serve an all-powerful God. Now, that should trump everything else. If, if He's the one that's saying, that, that's nudging you to do this, that should trump all other things. But in the case of the disciples, they're just being realistic about this. There's, there's no way. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And, and I think maybe they thought Jesus was going to say, you know what, you're right. Or maybe they thought, oh, well, here we go, right? What's he going to do? Um, and, and so this tension is building in them. Where is this food going to come from? But, they, but here's, here's the thing. They do have something. Okay, let's put ourselves in this position, in our circumstance here. You do have something. We do have something to offer. We all, all of us in here, just in a, in a personal way, we've all been given gifts. We all have talents. We all have skills. We have something. We all have something that we can give. Now, they may not have been honed, honed to perfection yet, but we have them. And then Jesus says this in verse 18. And I wonder if at this point the disciples probably went, oh, I knew he was going to do something like this. Right? Jesus says, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. So they do actually have something to offer. And in the case of the disciples in this situation, it's five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them here to me. Even in their limited amount, Jesus says, you know what? Bring them here to me. So in, in our circumstances, um, in our situation, you might be thinking, well, all I have is two years of college education. I don't even have a degree. You know what? The Lord, the Lord is saying to you, you know what? Bring me those two years that you have. Give me those. Bring those to me. Or, or you might think, I'm just a blue-collar worker. You know, I, I just, I'm just a day laborer. Or I'm a hired man for somebody. Or I just work for an hourly wage. God, I, I don't really have that much to give you. And, and God is saying, you know what? I know. I, just give me what you have. Just give me what you have. Or I don't have enough experience. Or, but Lord, I don't like to fly. I'm scared to death to fly. And I know that if I signed up for this short-term mission trip and, and maybe it's going to Haiti or maybe it's going to an, another place and we're going to fly, Lord, you know that I'm afraid to fly. I can't say yes. And the Lord's saying, you know what? Just give me that fear. Give me that fear. I will take care of it. Bring what you have to Jesus. And that's all he's asking the disciples to do. Bring me what you have. Bring it to me. However small or simple we think it is, let's bring it to Him and let's lay it down at the feet of Jesus. So here's what happens in verse 19. Jesus directs all of the people to sit down in the grass. Just imagine the scene here. Thousands. There's thousands of people here. Okay? And they're all sitting down in the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven it says, Jesus gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples 
and the disciples gave them to the people. So Jesus, the disciples are standing before Jesus. They have these loaves. Jesus takes them. He, he offers up the prayer, the blessing. He breaks it. He hands out the different pieces to the disciples, and they turn. Imagine this. Imagine even just turning with five loaves and two fish in this crowd. Okay? It's not going to get very far, right? Huh? If, if it's all up to us, it's not going to get very far. See, what the disciples did, in fact, do is they took what they had, what Jesus had, had told them to do, and they did what? They did it. They handed it out. And, and for some reason, it was odd. They just, they're, they're like people are breaking pieces of bread off, and people are breaking pieces of fish off, and, and they, just, it, they just continue to hand it out, and they 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 hand it out. And, and, and God does something amazing with a situation that, humanly speaking, is impossible, right? I mean, He blows them out of the water. So, so, first of all, we do have something to offer. Second, we need to simply do what we know how to do. Take what you have, what God has given you, and, and when He calls you to do something, that's what you have to give. You give that. And He takes what you have and He multiplies it in the lives of other people. Whether that's the students that you're helping with in Awana or, or high school and middle school youth group or whether that's uh, uh, people that you're handing out water to uh, on a mission trip in another, in another city somewhere. We were, we were in Seattle, Washington. Uh, had a dozen or so kids up there with Youth with a Mission. And, and we, this particular night... We made hot chocolate and we put it in a thermos and we took a stack of cups and we went down onto one of the streets where all the homeless people hang out at night and uh, we went down to hand out um, cups of hot chocolate. That's, and, and, and we were supposed to do that and then we were supposed to talk to people along the way, you know, kind of get their story, tell our story, see if we had an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, think about this. All we had was a thermos of hot chocolate and cups, right? And we took that down there, and I don't know how many cups of hot chocolate we gave out, but when we got back and we got to thinking about what we had just done and how many cups of hot chocolate we had handed out, we came to the conclusion that there wasn't enough hot chocolate in that thermos to fill as many cups of hot chocolate as we did that night. And so we were just like, look what God did. God, God, it, it was like, you know, it was like the, the jar of oil that never ran out. It was like hot chocolate that never ran out. Wouldn't that be great to have one of those, those thermoses, you know, on a hunting trip or something? A thermos of coffee that never ran out. It just was hot all the time. Um, God, God did an amazing thing, and He does an amazing thing here. Look at verse 20. It says, They all ate, and they didn't just eat a little bit. It says, They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12, count them, 12, and I don't care how big, if those baskets were this big or if those baskets were this big, does it even matter? There was extra left over. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men plus women and children. They all eat and are satisfied, and there's leftovers. I mean, I've gone to one of our carry-ins where I didn't get to eat to where I was satisfied, and it was all gone. I mean, God, what an amazing thing. 
And, and you know what? He does these things in our lives too. Sometimes we don't recognize it. But when we do what we know how to do, and God does what only He can do, we recognize in the midst of those experiences that we can trust Him more and more and more each day. That if we say yes to what He's calling us to, that He will provide whatever it is that we need in order to accomplish that. So we can trust our Heavenly Father to do what only He can do. You know, we need to, we need to stop coming up with reasons not to serve people. Uh, if, if God is, is calling you to serve somebody, I don't care what it is, if He's nudging you to do something, He will empower you to do it. He will give you the strength that you need. He, he will give you the, the gentle spirit or, or the forgiveness or, or whatever it is that you need. He will empower that. He will, he will empower what it is that you have to give to accomplish what He wants. So this is lesson number one for the disciples. This is like, this is like um, miracles or trust 101 here that they just experienced. I mean, I, can you imagine those guys after gathering up the baskets and they're all standing around with each other going, where did this come from? Right? You know, next time when Jesus says feed them, we, we just got to find a little bit of stuff. And we know that we can trust Him that, that if He tells us to do this, Again, if He tells us to do this, He is going to empower it. And that's exactly what He did, did with the disciples. Now, the story goes on. It doesn't stop there. Verse 22. Immediately, it says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Okay, it's the boat that He came across in. Now He's like, alright, you guys get into this boat and go back across. So they're, trying, they're, they're actually kind of returning to where they came from. Okay, he says, you guys go on ahead of me and I'm going to dismiss the crowd. Now, I, I wonder if they're not wondering at this point, so why is Jesus not coming with us? This kind of feels like your parents giving you a one-way ticket somewhere, right? Uh, what, what's going on here? Why, why are we doing this? But they, they, they listened, they got in the boat. I mean, Jesus just did an amazing miracle, right? Jesus says, get in the boat and go to the other side. You get in the boat and you go to the other side. So they begin to cross the lake. Jesus stays back to dismiss, dismiss the crowd. I, that would have been interesting, huh? Jesus dismissing five, like 7,000, 8,000 people. You know, I'm, I wonder how it all worked in that way. It's not like he could send a text me- mass text message, right? And everybody got the message, okay, it's time to go home. Um, anyway, Jesus dismisses the crowd. And then what does he do? It says in verse 23, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Okay, now this is why he came here in the first place, right? So finally, after a long day of of serving, he finally is able to do what he wants to do. And I think that he, he does it for as long as he does for a reason. Now, he sent the guys across in the boat. Now, it was a boat that was bigger than this one, obviously, if there were 12 guys in it. Okay. Um, Twelve guys. I'm guessing that it might have been a small fishing boat. May have had a mast and a sail. May not have. But it for sure had oars. And that's how they were moving it across. And we see in verse, the end of verse 23, uh, when evening came, he was there alone. Jesus. Jesus is on the mountainside. Now again, um, it's evening. I'm going to say it's dark. 
And Jesus is on the mountainside alone. Okay? I don't know how long the disciples have been out in the, in the lake, but they've been out there long enough to, to get, it says, a considerable distance from land. And then it says, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So it seems like they're not getting anywhere. Um, in fact, the waves and the wind must be blowing so hard that they're just kind of treading water. I mean, they're, they're having a really, really, uh, you know, it's a, it's a Jesus-imposed exercise program. They've got this row machine going on and they're not getting anywhere. Now, it says finally in verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night... Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So Jesus doesn't go out to them until the fourth watch of the night, which is about three o'clock in the morning. So Jesus is on the mountainside, knows that these guys are out there, knows that they're struggling against the wind. Okay? He leaves them there. He is doing his thing. And it's not because he just doesn't remember that they're out there. He knows exactly what's going on. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And I wonder if he wasn't asking himself the question, I wonder if their faith is growing. I wonder if they learned anything earlier today by what they saw me do. And he's going to find out. Now, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So I want you to get the picture here, right? The disciples are all in the boat. They're they're rowing, they're tired. It's been, what, three, four, five, maybe six hours they've been trying to get across the lake. They're tired, the wind is blowing, and one of them looks over and sees this person walking on the water. What would, what would you do if you actually saw somebody walking on the water? Would you be terrified? I, me too. And I'd freak out. I would do the same thing that they did. Uh, I would cry out in terror. I don't know if I'd yell it's a ghost, but I would, I would be trying to find some, some description of why I'm seeing this. But it says Jesus, you know, he didn't like pull the old, ha ha, you didn't know it was me. No, he told him right away, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Okay, don't fear. And, and here's where it gets interesting. And Peter says something that's absolutely crazy, and I can't imagine the disciples around him were going, what are you talking about? Because Peter says in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, and I sure hope that it is, right? If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I wonder why Peter did that. Would that be the first thing that came to your mind? Remember the early, earlier part of the day, right? Peter just saw Jesus do something amazing. He took what the disciples had and he fed the people. Now, Peter, all he, all Peter can do at this point is do what Peter can do. Okay? Jesus can do the impossible. He's walking on the water. And Peter says, and and Peter didn't just jump, jump out in the water and expect to walk on water, did he? 
No, Peter, Peter is, is actually pretty smart about this. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. What he's saying is, Lord, if you ask me to walk on water, I know I, I can because it's you asking me to do it. I will get down out of this boat and I will walk to you on this water if you tell me to do it. If you're nudging me to do this, Jesus, I will do it. And what's Jesus' answer? Come, he said. So then Peter got down. Peter did what only Peter could do. He put his foot over the edge of the boat. It says he got down. So I'm wondering if maybe it wasn't a, a fair, you know, maybe there was a ladder or something and he climbed. He, he's, he's climbing down. And, and I, I can imagine, I mean, what would you be thinking? Um, sure, he's being positive about this, but, you know, it's like, is this... You know, can I do this? But he steps down and he steps on to the water and it says he, he, he began to walk. He says he walked on the water. If you ever hear anybody say that Jesus was the only one to ever walk on water, they're wrong. They're wrong. Peter did. And why did Peter walk on water? Because Jesus told him to come. Jesus said come. He did it. And, and I'm telling you, we can too. We can get out of the boat. Jesus is calling you to get out of the boat. Whatever boat that is, it's your comfort, it's, it's to get involved in something and you're just afraid of it and you don't think you have enough skills or you don't have what, what you think are, are what you need to, to do whatever it is that you feel Him nudging you to do. You need to just, we need to take a lesson from what He's teaching us today and we just need to do what we can do and trust that God's going to do the rest. And, and again, Peter didn't just, didn't just jump out of the boat and expect Jesus to do what, whatever, whatever whim he thought that Jesus should do for him. Um, it was a come. It was come to me. And, and Peter did that. So the question I have for us this morning is what nudge are you receiving from the Lord? What nudge has He been giving you? Maybe it's been weeks. Maybe it's just been today. Maybe it's been months. You've felt this call or this draw or this extreme passion to do something, but you've been afraid of taking the risk. What, what could it be that God is calling you to do that all you have to do is give what you have and He will take that and He will do what He wants to with it. You know, is it, is it serving in, in one of the ministries here at the church? Is it a mi missions trip nudge? Is it an Awana nudge? Is there a family that, that, that God is calling you to help in, in a specific and maybe a quiet or a secret way? Is, uh, you know, we need to stop looking for reasons not to do things. And we need to start trusting in our Heavenly Father to do what only He can do. Now, we're going to make mistakes. Don't think that it's just, you know, it, you know, Peter walked on water for crying out loud and, and look what happened. Look what happened to him. Verse 30, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. Uh, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he got to thinking, wouldn't you? If you were walking on water, wouldn't you begin to start thinking why is this happening and what else is going on, etc., etc., etc.? That's what happens to Peter. And he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. And the beauty of this for us this morning is that Jesus doesn't say, well, have a nice swim back to the shore, Peter. 
Too bad you sunk, right? If you'd only had enough faith in me, you'd have made it to me and you'd have been okay. But instead, uh, you, you lacked faith and you drowned. No, that's not what Jesus did. Immediately, it says, verse 31, Jesus reached out His hand and He caught him. Now, yes, there's truth to the situation. You have little faith, He said. Why did you doubt? You didn't have to doubt. You just saw me feed more than 5,000 people. You saw me do the impossible. You saw me here in the last 30 seconds do the impossible. You, you don't need to doubt. But Peter did, and, and we will. But when he did, Jesus reached out and he said, you know what? I'm here for you. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those And see, never again did the disciples get into a boat by themselves without Jesus after that. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's be what I'm thinking. I am not getting into another boat unless Jesus is with me. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. You see, even in mistakes that we make, God is patient and He continues to teach and we continue to learn, and, we con- and our faith continues to grow. So consider those things, those nudges that, that, that are from God, and, and let's step out of the boat. And let's say yes and let Him do what only He can do. Father, thank You for this morning. Um, Lord, thank You for this, this challenging yet encouraging Word, Father, that, that, you, that, that you have... Um, you have things you want us to do. You have uh, people that you want us to serve. And, and Father, I pray that, that, that you would help us to not just come up with all of the excuses and the reasons why we can't or shouldn't or, or, or we're just inadequate. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that when you call us out of the boat, that you will empower us to do what you want us to do. Oh Lord, may our faith grow in, in that. And may we recognize, uh, Lord, what those things are that, that You, in fact, are calling us to. And may we take a risk and know that our faith will grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we uh, close the service, the ushers are going to come and take up our morning offering. And I invite.